In our first reading, we have a very uh, well-known story of King David and his sin uh, with Bathsheba and the consequences for that sin of his. We see Nathan come into the throne room and give this little parable that basically uh, functions as a kind of a mirror through which David can, can see himself and see the wickedness of his deed. And uh, through, that, uh, through that vision, through that sight, David comes to self-knowledge and he comes to repentance and there, he expresses true contrition uh, for his sin. And um, it's uh, important to note, though, that Nathan, the prophet, says to him, God has forgiven your sin. Nonetheless, here are the consequences for the sin. And what we see in this passage, and it's really a principle we see all throughout the Bible, is that uh, God can forgive sins. He can take away the guilt and the eternal consequences of those sins so that we can be restored into his uh, good graces and his, and his um, eternal regard. Nonetheless, there's still punishment. So forgiveness and punishment are not necessarily uh, mutually exclusive things. They can be together at the same time. There can be forgiveness and punishment at the same time. And it, again, this is a principle all throughout the Bible. We see it in a very particular way here in the case of David. And this uh, leads us to the understanding that even though we're forgiven, we are still uh, enjoined to do penance for our sins. Penance is a means of basically kind of paying off that debt and sort of owning up to the punishment that is the consequence for our sin. So it's again, it's both. We're happy and joyful and grateful to God for his forgiveness, but at the same time we own up to the consequences of our sins and we're willing to make reparation for them, willing to make atonement, willing to accept the, the punishment that is due to those sins. So it's both at the same time. Um, and uh, if these uh, this debt that we incur through our sins is not totally repaired by the time that we die, then that means we've still got something to work off. Um, and that's, that's what purgatory is. Purgatory is a state of being uh, wherein we're making atonement for the sins that we have not yet made atonement for in the, day, in the days uh, of our flesh when we were on earth. And uh, I'll have a story here for you um, having to do with, with purgatory and the importance of praying for those who are in purgatory. Uh, because those in purgatory, they cannot... Um, pray for themselves, and they can't merit uh, anything for themselves, okay? Because that, that time period, the, fr- the time frame that God gave them to do that is over with, all right? So in the days of our flesh right now, on earth, we have the time to pray and to merit and to make atonement for our sins. Those who are in purgatory, um, they're in a passive state such that they're just receiving the, the due to their sins, and at some point it comes to an end, and they're totally purified and they're admitted into God's presence. But uh, they need our prayers. They need our help. And uh, here's the story. So it's a Saint Antoninus. is a Saint, uh, Dominican saint from the 15th century in Florence in Italy. And he, uh, you know, when you become a bishop, if you're in a religious order and you've taken vows of 
uh, one of your vows is obedience to your religious superior. If you become a bishop, you basically leave. You have to leave your religious order. That's essentially what you do because you can't be obedient to your religious superior and be a bishop at the same time. It's impossible. So, for example, Pope Francis is a Jesuit, but he's not really a Jesuit anymore after the time that he was made Bishop of Buenos Aires and now that he's the Pope. I mean, he's a Jesuit in name, but he's not really a Jesuit anymore. Uh, so anyways, this is, that's how it was for Antoninus. While Antoninus was in the religious order, he was responsible for, responsible for setting up the, um, the uh, St. Mark's, which is a very famous place in uh, Florence, and you have all these incredible frescoes um, from uh, Fra Angelico are in this particular place, a chapel or church of St. Mark's in Florence. Anyway, so St. Antoninus was one of the guys, while he was in the Dominicans, who was responsible for setting that up. Another very influential and important member of the religious order who was responsible for founding uh, St. Mark's and getting that place established had, was of high regard. Everybody regarded him uh, very, very highly. He was known to be a righteous man. He worked really, really hard for the order and did a lot of really good temporal works in terms of administration and organization, so forth and so on. His name actually doesn't come down to us in the story. But anyways, this man, who was very important uh, to the establishment of St. Mark's, he dies. And the Dominicans offer masses for his soul, and they pray for him, and they do uh, quite a number of uh, good works on behalf of his soul. Well, so uh, St. Antoninus participates in all of that and says many masses for him. And, you know, every year goes by on the anniversary of this guy's death, and he's remembered, so forth and so on. And uh, that's how it goes. So... St. Antoninus leaves the uh, order and he becomes Bishop of Florence. And while he's Bishop, on the day that he leaves the order, he has a vision in his dream of this man, and now St. Antoninus' first impression is that the man is in hell. That's his first impression. He sees this guy suffering so profoundly that the only sense that he can make out of this vision is that the man is actually in hell. And that really surprises him because he was regarded as such a holy man all throughout his life, and he did so many good things for the Dominicans. So St. Antoninus is, is very kind of surprised about this and taken aback. And it's granted him to have a conversation with this soul who's suffering in these fires. And the, the, the soul says to him, I'm not in hell, I'm actually in purgatory. And I will be in purgatory until the end of the world. And no matter how many masses are said for me, my debt will not be paid off because I never once throughout the course of my life prayed for a holy soul in purgatory. And so that every single mass and all prayers that you guys have been praying for me are going to the people for whom I was supposed to pray for who were in purgatory but whom I never did pray for. And he says, I want you to go back and tell people to pray for people in purgatory. So I, I, you know, we see in our text, in our scripture text, the kind of severity of judgment that comes upon David, even though he's forgiven. Nonetheless, there's some serious judgment. God says, the sword shall never depart from your house. Okay? This child dies. So, this is something, it's a, it's a moment for us to kind of reflect upon the severity that we see in the scriptures, and also, you know, this story from the life of the saints. Uh, and the takeaway um, moral for us is, let's pray for people in purgatory.